Welcome to the third episode of the Live to Shoot podcast. Hopefully it's, things are getting a little better, but this is a lot harder than it looks. And, uh, you know, you look at somebody and you always say, you know, the, how the professionals make hard things look easy. Well, I'm certainly probably making hard things look even harder than they actually are. But uh, I am uh, working to get better and um, hopefully it'll start to show eventually. Um, <clears throat> we left the last episode off about to dig into the uh, the Bill of Rights. But uh, before we actually do that, I'd like to talk a little bit about what's going on in Virginia. So Virginia is really becoming a, a hotbed for uh, Second Amendment and gun control, and it's all starting to percolate. Back in November, the Democrats uh, took control of their state legisl- legislature for the first time um, in a generation, and now they've decided to go full steam ahead on gun control. They've got proposed, so the state legislature um, has convened in uh, just this week, and they have already proposed legislation that requires universal gun, ch- uh, universal background checks, a ban on magazines that hold more than 10 rounds, an assault weapons ban, a ban on suppressors and trigger activators and red flag laws and uh, registration and uh, a variety of different uh, uh, new legislation to, uh, for uh, gun control purposes. The assault weapons uh, ban includes actually all semi-automatic rifles and pistols, but you can keep your legally purchased firearm now if you register it. And they actually also uh, have a proposal to ban lead-free ammo. And then there's a, a proposal to ban gun ranges that employ over 50 people. And this this band appears to be a, a veiled attempt to shut down the NRA gun range in in Virginia. They've also increased their budget uh, for law enforcement to begin their budget for law enforcement so that they can begin arresting these law-abiding citizens who have failed to register their legal firearms, as well as increasing spending for uh, prison facilities to house these new felons that they're they're going to be creating. But the state has re- uh, really responded. Since November 6, 91 counties, 12 cities, and 22 towns have all adopted some sort of uh, 2A sanctuary resolutions. Uh, January 20th, which is just a few days away, is um, the Virginia Citizens Defense Gun Lobby Day. It's not actually a protest, but an event to send a message. Right now, they have over 100 buses going to the state capitol in response Virginia and in response to this, Virginia has created a rule making the capital a gun-free zone, which this week has severely impacted the capital because now all the uh, employees are having to go through screening, and so lines into the capital just for people to get there to do their regular jobs has significantly increased. But to say that, we need to start keeping an eye on Virginia. The uh, it could be a bellwether of of where people where other states are going to try and go, or it can send a definite strong message to those out there that are trying to to um, implement gun control that citizens aren't going to stand for it. Now let's uh, continue with our discussion of the Bill of Rights. As we left off from last time, the new Constitution was ratified in in 1789, 
and was put in place to address some things that the original Articles of Confederation failed to address. But there was concerns that the Constitution outlined what the government could do, but it didn't say what it couldn't do. The rights that the framers wanted to protect were what the Declaration said were unalienable. So they implemented a set of uh, <coughs> amendments to address individual rights that um, could not be taken away. So the First Amendment reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So it's freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, and the right to assemble. This established the so-called separation of church and state and has been enforced in a manner that protects the government from religion versus protecting individual rights to worship. But I digress, and maybe at some later date we'll tackle this one. Except for the Second Amendment, this is probably the second most debated amendment. Now, the Second Amendment, I'm going to save for later, as we're going to dig into it in a lot more detail than we are the rest of these amendments. Uh, and I, I'll be honest with you, as, as I've, I have to admit that I wasn't aware of what all the, uh, the Bill of Rights actually entailed until I started going through each one. So the, the Third Amendment <clears throat> is, No soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. Now, this amendment doesn't seem to be too relevant in today because there's never been a Supreme Court case based on it. The Fourth Amendment is the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, support by oath or affirmation, and particular describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. According to the Fourth Amendment, the people have the right to, a secu to secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. This right limits this right limits the power of the police to seize and search people, their property, and their homes. General warrants were allowed by the by crown messengers to search without any cause to believe someone had committed an offense. In those cases, the judges decide that such warrants violated common law. In the colonies, the Crown used the writs of assistance, like general warrants, but often unbound, <coughs> unbounded by time constraints to search for goods on which taxes had not been paid. James Otis challenged the writs in the Boston courts, though he lost. Some such, some, such as John Adams attributed his legal battle as a spark that led to the revolution. Both controversies led to the famous notion that a person's home is their castle, not easily invaded by the government. The Fifth Amendment is no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a pre presentment of an, or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger. Nor shall a person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy or of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall we, shall private property be taken for public use without such compensation. So the Fifth Amendment gave us a grand jury process. 
the concept of double jeopardy, the concept of uh, self-incrimination or taking the fifth, and the fact that we have due process, that we're, we're supposed to be allocated due process, and that you cannot take public, public property private property for public use without a, without just compensation. And as we talk about due process in the Fifth Amendment, this brings to, to mind for me this concept of these red flag laws that are becoming so popular in Virginia, Colorado, for example, it's just implemented theirs, where now, without due process, they can come in and take your firearms away because somebody has deemed that you're a threat, and then you have to prove otherwise uh, to get those, and, and um, so now, not o- now we're not only uh, violating our Second Amendment, we're also violating our Fifth Amendment rights. But again, I digress. Um, the Sixth Amendment is: in all prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed which district shall have been previously ascertained by law and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. At the time of our founding, there were local sheriffs, but not professionalized police forces. Instead, ordinary men took turns serving as constables or night watchmen. Criminal cases were almost always brought by victims, not public prosecutors. At trial, neither side typically had a lawyer, so both victims and defendants represented themselves. Trials were like shouting matches in which victims and defendants argued and brought other live witnesses to tell their stories. They lasted minutes, they lasted minutes or hours, not days. The framers of the Sixth Amendment sought to strengthen the vigorous this vigorous adversarial process by implementing some of these, these rights provided for us in the Sixth Amendment. In the, the Seventh Amendment states, in suits at common law, where the value and controversy shall exceed $20, the right of draw, trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. So in the 18th century, as a desire of, of American colonists for independence from British grew, the jury in America became more important. The British government claimed that Americans had to obey laws enacted by the British Parliament, in which Americans had no representation. Americans did participate on colonial juries, and these juries became a way for Americans to govern themselves. As tensions with Britain rose, juries nullified uh, hated British laws, especially laws for collecting taxes. Because colonial juries had been valuable in the, in the struggle against Virginia, America put rights to civil and criminal jury trial into their new state constitutions immediately after declaring independence in 1776. The Eighth Amendment is excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted. The proposed constitution made the federal government much more powerful than it had been under the Articles of Confederation. One of the most significant of these powers was the power to create federal crimes and to punish those who committed them. Opponents of the constitution feared that this new power would allow Congress to use cruel punishments as a tool of, for oppressing the people. For example, Abraham Holmes argued that Congress might repeat the abuses of the diabolical institution, the Inquisition, and start imposing torture on those convicted of federal crimes. 
They are nowhere restrained from inventing the most cruel and unheard of punishments and annexing, annexing them to crimes. And there is no constitutional check on them. But the racks and gibbets may be amongst the most mild instruments of their discipline. Patrick Henry asserted, even more pointedly than Holmes, that the lack of a prohibition of cruel and unusual punishment meant that Congress could use punishment as a tool of oppression. Congress may introduce the practices of France, Spain, and Germany of torture to exhort, extort a confession of the crime. They will tell you that there is such a necessity of strengthening the arm of government that they must extort confession by torture in order to punish with still more relentless severity. We are then lost and undone. Largely as a result of these objections, the Constitution was amended to protect, prohibit cruel and unusual, unusual punishments. The Ninth Amendment, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not construe to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Although there was much dispute among, although there's much dispute among constitutional scholars about the meaning and legal effect of the Ninth Amendment, there is a consensus about its origin. During the ratification debates over the Constitution, those the Anti-Federalists opposed. The opponents of ratification, the anti-federalists, voicefully complain that the absence of a bill of rights, of a bill of rights, in response supporters of the Constitution, the federalists, such as James Wilson, argued that a bill of rights would be dangerous. Enumerating any rights, Wilson argued, might imply that all those not listed were surrendered, and because it was impossible to enumerate all the rights of the people, a bill of rights might actually be construed to justify the government's power to limit any liberties of the people that were not enumerated. So. The point is, is that the Ninth Amendment just points out that just says that just because we don't say it's a right and it's not in here doesn't mean it's not necessarily a right under the Constitution. <clears throat> and the Tenth Amendment, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it, it to the states or reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So, again, if it's not in the... Um, uh, a power given to the United States, that power then belongs to the states, which, as time has gone by, the government has annexed, I believe, more and more state powers and made them federal powers, which is another issue altogether. So, this concludes the third episode of the Live to Shoot podcast. Um, we just kind of outlined a little bit about the Constitution. Um, now, Beginning our next episode, we're going to dig into to the Second Amendment and talk a little bit about the, its background and kind of how we are where we are today. Uh, thank you for listening.